This is a CNA podcast. Doors are closing. Podcast listeners, thanks for dropping in on this episode. It's Crispina here. And I'm Adrian. With us today in the studio is Eileen Wong for the limited series called The Leader's Chair, where we speak with C-suite folks about their thoughts on leadership and people management. Eileen is the Director of Human Resources and Organisation Development at the Singapore Tourism Board, where she has been for a large part of her career. Welcome to Work It, Eileen. Hi, everyone. Thanks for having me here. Thanks, Eileen. Thanks for taking time off a very busy schedule. Okay, let's kick things off. Usually on this podcast, we ask our guests to give us a little bit of a look back on their own career. You've been with public service. We did a little CSI. So you were with GovTech before. So when you look back at your career, what would you say about how you've done so far? Did you always know that this was what you were going to do or it was just a journey that you went on? I think it's very much a journey that I went on. It was by accident that I stumbled into the HR field. When I first graduated, quite many years ago, I wanted to go into banking, but the industry wasn't doing so well. So I had a bachelor in economics. So it was really strange to find myself working in the human resource at first. I grew to like the public sector work very much because Mm. I see the impact that I was able to make, the interaction that I could have. And I think more importantly, also influencing my own perspective of how the economy was being run, how the country was being Mm. governed. And that itself gave me insights to what money cannot provide. Ah, that's interesting. She's the second person to say. Oh, yes. Siu Ming was the previous guest on our show that also wanted to get into banking, but eventually landed in HR. HR. And has been in HR for the past 15 years, I think. Yeah, he too said that he found it very meaningful Mm. because it was more than just money. I actually heard that particular episode. I really just do my homework for the podcast. (laughs) Uh, And many of the things that he said really resonated with me, specifically with regards to the domain of HR, where most people outside of HR might not necessarily see the complexity yes. uh, behind it. If you dive deeper into it, HR as a specialty is actually a science mm. because there are many ways in which you can design policies in order to shape behaviour oh, yeah. and therefore accomplishing uh, the organisational outcomes. Mm. But HR is never really front and centre when we talk about human behaviour. But actually it is. Now it's data-driven, right? Yep. And so it becomes so much more real. At the Singapore Tourism Board, we're very fortunate we have had leaders who are very supportive of HR and they really do see the importance of HR. So Mm. they've given us a lot of support in initiatives and also being able to experiment with new ideas Mm. and also in advocating, for example, wellness, particularly during the pandemic. So HR actually came up front and centre. And even though you have been in public service over at GovTech as well as STB, are there any differences in your approach to leadership because of the nuances between this I do think leadership needs to be contextualised, both at the receiving end as well as the giving perspective. When we join an organisation, very often we forget that there is an organisational mandate for which the agency is tasked to fulfil. And this applies for both the public as well as the private sector. So if in the public sector, say STB for instance, we very much look into building a dynamic tourism landscape that can continue to fuel good jobs for our people, continue to build up reputation for Singapore as a place 
place where you can work, live and play. Mm. But if you look at it from the private sector, say, for example, if we look at the bank, there are certain mandates and purpose for which the bank exists to serve. So therefore, leadership in those instances need to be contextualised. In other words, you have different demands of leaders yes. depending on where you are and what organisation you're running. And of course, one thing we can't talk about tourism without talking about the pandemic. We oh, understand yeah. STB Must yourself. Must have been quite yeah. traumatic <laughs> compared to some others. Yes, it was definitely very uh, stressful and pressurising for both our staff as well as for the industry. It being unprecedented, this pandemic has also brought about a lot of changes and adaptations that we needed to do. So there was a lot of experimentation. So for example, we rolled out the Singapore Rediscover vouchers. Even though we recognise domestic tourism would never be quite an impact say for the likes of Japan or China mm. they can primarily rely on domestic tourism to drive the economy but in Singapore it's a bit tough because our population is really small yeah. Yeah, but yeah, yeah, we yeah. saw it from a perspective that it was an opportunity for our people to get to know the tourist attractions the different activities that we had and also to provide a leeway for them to fulfil their travel quest even though it's still domestically yeah. Did you use your vouchers? David? Oh yes I exhausted it almost the first week well, by oh, wow. booking all trips to Sentosa and interesting places which I've never had the chance to visit. What about yourself, Crispina? I gave it to my kids. Oh, that's so kind of you. Because they went on dates with their girlfriends Ah, using my vouchers. Okay, when did you realise COVID is not going to go away? And in a way, it was a game changer for a lot of industries. Yeah, because for many people, they would just look at SARS as a reference point. Yes. That lasted six months. But then this, this pandemic, <laughs> we are still somewhat in it right yeah, now. Yeah, we're still. Yes. We do see the pandemic becoming one that we need to learn to live with, just as how we do with flu. In the first year, it was a lot of struggle uh, that we had to undergo and also trying to not just coping internally as an organisation, but also helping the stakeholders make sense of it. You can have the likes of hotels that became SHN facilities and they yep. found an outlet to be able to still continue to keep occupancy somewhat at the reasonable level. But you mm. also will have the travel agents and tourist guides yeah. who really suffered very much because there are no tourists for whom they could bring around and therefore the Rediscover vouchers was one opportunity and also in the same way we also tapped on the particular pool and pivoted them temporarily to become our ambassadors. Mm. So you recall yeah, that we have yeah, many yeah, of these did, ambassadors yeah. going out really encouraging people to put on their masks, making sure that the various SMM guidelines were yeah, adhered met, to. Yeah. Yeah. We interviewed quite a few of them. Mm-hmm. They were former tour guides and then now they had to tell people to put on their masks. <laughs> and so they were saying that people were scolding us. But it's tough, right? And so one of the things I wanted to add that I noticed now is that all hotels have this super sanitizing thing. And it feels great that they've taken it so seriously. That's a legacy of that hard time that they had to go through, right? If any Anything the pandemic taught us, it's really being a lot more conscious about our hygiene and yeah. sanitation. Mm. And I yeah. think it's something that we do recognise that tourists and locals, the same, focus on that as a baseline. And also, of course, the whole tech thing. So now you can check in, you can order stuff, everything is seamless, right? It is. Yes, it is know? seamless. Although I would say that from a tourism perspective, we do recognise there are pockets where we can automate, mm-hmm. there are pockets where we can try and use technology. Mm. However, there is still the face 
face to face, the personal touch, yeah, which you know really makes a difference. Yeah. Yes, otherwise you just put on a VR goggle and <laughs> do your traveling. <laughs> Greeted by a robot. Okay, coming back to work, we've talked about finding meaning in work and purpose in work on this podcast before. We feel, based on our conversations, it's become more serious now. People are really asking and looking for purpose and meaning beyond just the money. Could have been because of the pandemic, but I think it's also a kind of a new generation that's now coming up and raised in self-sufficiency also. So money's kind of not that motivating. What do you personally find meaningful in your work? Do you feel that it's changed over time? Not exactly. I feel like the factors contributing to that meaningfulness perhaps has evolved over time. Perhaps in our parents' generation, we find that then the pursuit of work is really that for survival. Mm. In earlier days, we were really just trying to make ends meet, yeah. being able to put food on the table, make sure that there's a roof over our head. And over time, we see the rise of affluence and we are therefore privileged as we are today, able to take a step back because we mm. feel like as a whole, we are able to find good jobs that give us decent pay so that our basic needs are met and then therefore allowed us to pursue other facets of life. But if we come back to the whole concept of meaningfulness, I don't think that what we are looking for now is anything different from what, say, our parents or forefathers are looking for. Mm. It's just a different context and means in which they are finding fulfillment. My parents will be very fulfilled if they know that they have worked very hard and brought up their children, yeah. put them through education, enabled them channels to find a better life. Yeah. Right? To them, that's their purpose and that's their meaning. For us today, when we look at the whole concept of meaningfulness, it's really then very much of what can we find fulfillment in. Mm. Perhaps material needs might not fulfill us in the same way as it did for our parents and earlier generations. Right. And therefore, then we are on this search for something higher, yeah. a, a calling, some of these words mm. has been used out there, some higher purpose mm. and all that. But hard, right? To I don't think so. I feel that sometimes we forget what it was like and we forget that we are in a privileged mm. position that mm. we can afford to make such decisions and such choices. Mm. Right? I so think the concept of gratefulness. Yes. I very much believe in that. I feel like if we are able to recognise the goodness in mm. people, if we're able to recognise that each day has gone on fairly smoothly, that we're able to make contributions in our work, mm. able to make a positive impact on someone else's life, being able to build up meaningful connections yeah. you know, both at work at home and, and socially I think that in itself actually constitute meaningfulness to me Oh, I mm. like that. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. And one of the key challenges I do hear from many leaders is really motivating their people, especially oh, yeah. the younger entrants to the workforce. Because mm. as you mentioned, now it's no longer putting food on the table. The yeah. food is literally spilling <laughs> over the table right now. And it goes beyond just sending them for training, for coaching, give them more stuff to do. In your experience in HR, I'm sure you have done a fair share of trying to motivate these younger entrants to work. What, what has worked for you and maybe what hasn't really worked out for you? I do think that the environment in which a company can create is very important. Mm. Uh, this is where our employees spend the most of their waking hours and they devote a considerable amount of energy and talent in building up towards our organisation objectives. Where HR on organisation can come in is really to think about the environment and the environment not just physically but also in terms of what are the perks, what are the features of work that we're able to design, how are we structuring the work, the deliverers, 
I would say doesn't really change, but the format in mm. which it can be delivered, the manner in which it can manifest, as the younger ones talk about, use this thing, yeah. it's really then how we want to allow flexibility and mm. just be more open for experimentation. So there is no one way to get to Rome. <laughs> if we agree as an organisation, the outcome is going to be Rome, for mm. example, yeah. then do we also provide enough leeway and support for our staff to come up with ideas on how do we get there and ah, whether or not okay. And it doesn't clear... mean that everybody has to get there by train, yes. for instance. Yes. You know, so some, this is yeah. where the parameters of assessment is very important because the destination is Rome. Then do we want to add other layers of assessment? Right. Say, for example, we are looking for speed, we're looking for comfort, we're looking for inclusivity and therefore then you have these parameters by which staff can work within and just innovate. Given how big STB is, wouldn't that require like 10x the team size in your department just to manage all these people? Or a very patient <laughs> leader. <laughs> you might have so many different types of people. I very much wish from HR perspective that we have a lot more people on board. Unfortunately, we are constrained <laughs> yes. um, by factors beyond us. Mm. And also, I think to be mindful that we don't want to be monopolising from other agencies or the private sector, mm. right? Mm. It's the entire economy mm. that will need this working population. I think it's therefore important to them be clear about what are the OB markers, so to speak, lines they should not be crossing, mm. but also be equally flexible about the way in which we do things. So, for example, STB has introduced hybrid work arrangement as with the rest of the public sector. So, officers come in two days a week. They are welcome to come in more, more. if they need mm. be, if the situation calls for it. But two days a week is what we set as a floor. And I think with this flexibility, officers actually appreciate the ability to be able to better manage their family commitments, their personal commitments, as well. We've also introduced other means where we want to provide the environment for people to find purpose and meaning. We do recognise that it's not just going to be about work. It's also being able to say, for example, uh, making time for learning because mm. growth is very important, yeah. particularly for the millennials where we feel that they want to see themselves being able to pick up new knowledge, be yep. able to grow, being able to reach the aspiration for higher appointments. Mm. And this is where we actually set aside pockets of time within our work week where we tell people try not to schedule meetings you can use that for learning purpose along with that provide a whole list of programs for which they can attend as well and there are also other channels in which we will help them to take stock of their contribution so we do note that sometimes there could be burnout mm-hmm. and there could be a lot of stress that they're going through either both at work or in life Something just living life on, yeah. and we do have wellness ambassadors across all departments as well mm-hmm. whom they could reach out to and we essentially just get a listening ear yeah. and some support. That's what we are seeing as well from the people that we've been talking to. A lot of focus is on growing. A lot of focus is on wellness. Our question always is this phrase, rubber hits the road, right? It's not just about saying anymore. It's really about doing it. Yeah. There was a time in the middle of last year when it seemed that the China we're familiar with was a completely different place. When the rest of the world moved on from the COVID-19 pandemic, as many as 300 million Chinese people were under some form of a mandatory lockdown. There were only two things on my mind, to find food and to not go crazy. Then suddenly, the people decided to take things into their own hands. 
For the first time in more than 30 years, protests swept through China. And just like that, zero COVID ended. Join me, we do, for a look back at the extraordinary year in China and hear how it might have changed the country for good. Catch Red Wall Inside China's Zero COVID World, a two-part podcast series by CNA. It's available now on the CNA and Me Listen apps, Spotify, Apple, and Google Podcasts. Let's talk about leadership a little bit. Who have you personally worked for that you really admired and the lessons that you've learned now that you lead a huge team? It could also be anti-lessons. Anti-lessons. Yeah, maybe non not lessons. just yeah, non-lessons. <laughs> Some of the bad things that you observe and maybe telling yourself, <laughs> oh, oh, okay, oh, I shouldn't do so that great. as a leader. I have been very fortunate to have worked with quite a number of good leaders. I've also had my fair share of not-so-good leaders. So I would say that in defining a leader, it goes back to what is the context and what is the level of influence and to what extent mm. has the person enabled me to grow as a person, right? Not just as a digit in the organisation, but mm. that really to value what I can bring to the table and also helping me to sharpen some of the skill sets. For a good leader, it's one who is able to be flexible, one who is able to identify what are some of the intrinsic needs that every team member needs because they differ one yeah, to another. Sure. But you also are able to balance that you cannot be all for all. You yeah. can't meet everyone's needs. Exactly. But really to be able to zoom in and prioritize. As a team, I'm a leader of a team. There's a certain mandate. There's a certain objective for which we need to come together to deliver. Mm. And the leader deliver results through his or her people. Right? It's not so much of being able to churn out the work itself. Yeah. But how do you motivate the team members under you to be able to then deliver the work in the most effective and the most impactful way? Mm. A leader is one, being flexible, being able to draw out strategic insights from the employees, being able to capitalise on what everyone is able to bring and really harmonise that into a final product which then brings value for the team and the organisation. Mm. For a good leader, it's also someone who's able to have clear directions and to have clear principles which are consistently followed. The last thing you want is a roti prata uh, <laughs> boss, right? Someone who say A today and B tomorrow yeah. and maybe C and then revert to be again the day after. That kind of leadership is very disruptive. Mm. It's highly not conducive for anyone's well-being. Finally, a good leader is one who would be open you don't have to agree with everything that people say. Naturally, even within our family, the closest to us, we don't always agree on everything. And similarly for a leader and the team members, it's not being able to agree on everything, but how do you bring about a process where you can have open discussions, where you say things in a very safe environment, knowing that you will not be judged or penalised sometime down the road, but really just being able to draw the essence and then collectively agreeing on a common goal and moving forward. In other words, to disagree without being toxic. Yes, that would be important. Because I find that sometimes disagreements become very tense, right? And people go away from that disagreement feeling resentful or just feels negative. But that's a hard skill to master, I feel. It sounds like a very long list of skill set that any modern leader seems to require right now. Yeah, demands. But that's why they are paid a lot. Ah, that's true. 
<laughs> the art of leadership development should not rest entirely on the individual. Yes, I feel as an organization, agree. there are means yeah. in which you could perhaps send a person for training. Mm. You learn from others who have walked the path before, right? So you could have theoretical concepts taught to you. Yeah. And I feel like the making of a leader rests also just as importantly on the team members mm. who therefore shape the leadership and being able to then give inputs constructively yeah. and of course respectfully to be able to help the leader grow in his and or her And do role. his or her best. Yes. Yeah. I think the conundrum for us in our conversation so far is that we find that there are lots of very competent leaders, like you say, right? Able to set direction, very good at what they do. Quite excellent actually but a little bit more difficult for them. And because of that, everybody says, oh, it's okay if he's a bit brusque or if he's a bit tough. I think now, increasingly, that's becoming much more important, right? Not so much about your A-star delivery, but also how you deliver it, whether your team wants to work with you tomorrow mm. after that stressful thing. Mm, certainly. That, yeah. I feel that very often we find leaders who are being promoted into their position of leadership really is an outcome of what they've accomplished in terms of the performance oh, at the yeah. more junior grade. Mm. So yeah. what got you there might not necessarily keep you there, mm. right? And therefore, then it's a recognition that there needs to be the acquisition of softer skills, people management skills, communication skills to be able to connect and engage the team. Because what is expected of you as an individual contributor will be very different when you move into a mm. leadership position because the yardsticks, as you rightly pointed out, are different. Different now. Mm. But I think your point is also very important. We shouldn't just put the leaders in the spotlight and say, now you figure this out. It's not fair, right? People need to support them in their journey yeah. as well. But of course, I think support has to be earned, not just be requested from. So in today's context, based on your opinion, do you think there's space in Singapore for a leader like a Steve Jobs, a Elon Musk? A, is Elon Musk a good leader? Uh, I, I have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> but he's I, the person at the top. <laughs> <laughs> I've read articles about their leadership style. It needs to be contextualized to yeah. the types of work that yeah, they do, the pressures well, that they're yeah. under, the stakeholders that they're accountable to, mm-hmm. uh, and also the kind of culture they want to build and advocate. I would say that because there is no also one perfect employee, there's also no one perfect leader mm. at the end of the day. We need to then be very deliberate in the choice of companies and culture yeah. that we put ourselves into. So mm. we do know, if, like say, I am a very high-performing individual. I don't mind straight up direct comments and I don't take it personally and mm. I'm able to bear the stress then yes I will go for Elon Musk which is perfectly fine right and you which know is great, you can actually, if, that, if that's what you are yes. yeah. and you get rewarded accordingly mm. but if you know that perhaps you know such kind of environment might be rather harsh on your well-being you, you might not feel you have mm. the ability to cope with that that's perfectly fine it's not like one is better than the other exactly. it's just then be able to find an organisation where it's able to bring out the best in you mm. That's a, such a wonderful point. I love that. And with things becoming more and more volatile as we continue to change at such a rapid pace, we've also been hearing about adaptive leaders. So in your view, what are some of the characteristics that the captain of the ship must be acquiring right now in order to really have their business thrive and manage to get and retain great talent? They call it volatile world, right? So 
<laughs> well, the world has always been volatile. Yeah. <laughs> just being able to find a safe haven in the midst of volatility where you know that you can contribute and you know that you'll be appreciated and recognised for what you're able to bring. And I think for leaders in moving forward, it's also being able to strategize ahead, being able to use the data that they have on hand yeah. to be able to then shape the outcome that they want. For example, the resurgence of tourists back mm. into our shores, right? Yep. It is actually an opportunity for STB to revisit our strategy, to relook again what we had embarked on mm. prior to COVID. Is it something that's going to be relevant? Are there mm. going to be tweaks in the way in which we deliver mm. the work? How can we better engage the stakeholders to be able to take on new challenges? Mm. One example I have to offer is at STB, we have actually embarked on this journey of sustainable tourism. So prior to HR, where I am right now, I was working in another department which looks at sustainable tourism. Mm -hmm. And this was actually an area we are very interested in getting our tourism stakeholders to come on board. So it's also being able to look at what's going on in the rest of the world to try to see how can we retain our relevance Mm -hmm. for it. So in other words, you have to be... Exactly as the word suggests, adaptive. What worked for you in the past may not work for you in the future. So you just constantly need to be thinking about what would work Mm. and then get your people along with you. Mm. Something that is always in the background that people may overlook is you really need very strong leaders in order to drive all this initiative across. Otherwise, things can just fall apart. Yeah, because generally my feeling is that people don't really like change. My sense is that change is very, it's not a bad thing. It's not negative. It's just that change is tough. Yeah. So when you tell them, okay, guys, we have to do this new thing now, you need a lot more than just getting them to follow you. You need persuasion. You need mission-specific ideas. People have to follow you, uh, even though it's hard, right? <laughs> Yes, as human beings, we might not be naturally suited to acclimatize so quickly. Yeah. But history has shown us that we can. Mm. So if you were to recall prior to the pandemic, going to work means going to the office every day. Yeah. Mm. Right. And when we first had the lockdown, we got everybody to stay at home. That transition, getting people to work from home was tough. Yeah. People adapting to that particular change was difficult. And now if you look at it more than two years down the road, if we go out and tell people that you have to come into work every day, that's another shock for yeah. them, right? Yeah, they'll um, say no Which text. is why Mars is drawing so much attention. But yeah. we forget that actually prior to the pandemic, which wasn't very long ago, yeah. we were doing that. That was the norm. So, so, so humans are capable. We are capable. We are highly adaptable. change. Yeah. Yeah. We just need to have a bit more faith in ourselves, in one another, mm. and also to allow ourselves that, that space and time to be able to adapt. Yeah. And someone got to guide the change lah. Yes. So the captain of the ship must have a very steady hands. Yeah. Okay. So we are doing something different for this series. We'll ask offbeat questions and you answer them based on whatever comes to your mind in one short sentence. Yes. Okay. So are you ready? Just give it your best shot. Okay. Yeah. All right. First question. That's for me. How do you deal with a problem that's hard to solve? Like what's the first thing you do? Break it down into smaller digestible chunks. Good tip. Okay. What do you do when a situation becomes very stressful? Unless it's life-threatening, generally you can afford to take a step back, catch a breather and come back to it with new perspective. Okay, take a deep breath in some cases. Yes, very deep one. Count to 10. Sometimes count to 20. Count to 20. 20. <laughs> Alright, next one. Complete this sentence. A good leader is someone who... 
is empathetic, willing to tell you as it is in a very diplomatic way, being able to bring about change and growth in you. Final one for me. How do you ensure that work doesn't become overwhelming? I think it's important to know how much you can handle and Mm. to learn how to say no to be able to know how to manage your stakeholders and be able to draw boundaries when the time calls for it. Alright, thanks everyone for listening. We hope you like our limited series. If you have questions you'd like us to ask, please get in touch with us. We are at cnapodcast at mediacorp.com.sg The CNA Podcast team comprises Joanne Chan, Jacqueline Chan, Tiffany Ang and Saye Win. I'm Crispina. See you guys next week. 